so many bits and pieces here today, but uh, it would be good if somebody was to give out uh, some of these. Thanks, Jerry. Lovely. That's good. Isn't it good to be here today, isn't it? Yes. I'm oh, sure it is. I'm <laughs> sure it's good to be here. I think God's got great things in store for us as a fellowship, and we just want to tap in to what the Lord is doing. And as well today, even in Woodysburg, we thank God for last week. I'm just learning. I've got a lot to learn. It's uh, a good few years since I was working in the coffee shop in Dunin. I used to go to the coffee shop, you know, to the. We had a, a room at the back, and it was supposed to be a kind of vestry. And I said, Well, I'll come down and prepare sermons while the coffee shop was on. I could not prepare one sermon because I knew that the girl who was in charge was run off her feet. And in Dunoon, you sometimes got a, a busload. There was a lady who was a, a kind of tour guide who used to go to our church. And she would be coming along with Shearer's coaches. And as they were passing the coffee shop, she would say to the folk in the bus, you want to go to that shop, that coffee shop. And we would get 25, 30 folk all coming at one time. And that takes something. Here's me trying to prepare a sermon. All this is going on. And I said, oh, I can't prepare a sermon. And I just got out there and cleaned the tables and took the coffee out and did what I could. Because it was panic stations when you get about 30 folk all coming in at the one time. It was quite something. But uh, God, God's good along the way. We're going to read uh, some scripture from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. Well, I've read part of this before, I just want to remind ourselves of it. Matthew chapter 16, and just reading again uh, verse 13, just 13 to 20. I think it's so good that we were doing some study on these disciples of Jesus. How they were before the cross and resurrection and what happened after the cross and resurrection. Because that's really important for our study which is beginning today as a series on the church. But let's just look at verse 13. I'm on page 805 by the way if you're using the, the Bibles here from the church. Page 805, Peter's declaration about Jesus. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, Who do you say that I am? And Peter, uh, Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you lock on earth will be locked in heaven. Whatever you open on earth will be opened in heaven. Then he sternly warned them not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. I'm sure God will bless his precious word to all of our hearts today. I've just got so many bits and pieces with me today. Uh, well, let's just come before God in prayer this morning. Sometimes we come to a fellowship like this with things in their lives, some baggage in their lives. 
And we just want to bring all that before the Lord. Let's just come before God in prayer. Lord, you know how things have been this morning, even before we got here. Sometimes it's a rush. Sometimes there have been things going on in the home that just have put us out of kilter. And, and we just want to be still in your presence. We want to be receptive to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. We want to give you your place on the very throne of our hearts and lives. We know, Lord, that all kinds of things go on with us. We pray for those who are dealing with health issues, those who are struggling financially, those who have other things going on in their hearts and lives. And we want to bring it all before you, knowing that you're the one that can supply every need according to your riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And we want to thank you and praise you for the coffee shop of last week. And just for all the people that came in and all the helpers that we had. And we pray, loving God, that you would have your hand of blessing on this work. And we pray against anybody anybody who would not want us to have this place, even to buy it. And we just pray, Lord, for your favour and your grace and your mercy being shown to us. That your will will be done in the sale of this building. We just want to thank you for Cathy and Nick. For, for Graham and for Bill. We pray a blessing upon the leadership that they would know your anointing and your word, your prophetic word for them at this particular time that we might stand still and see the salvation of the Lord on our behalf. We thank you too for the Church of Christ. Help us to learn a lot today and to be blessed as we wait in your presence. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Before we actually actually get going on this particular leaflet that you might have there, I want to just say something by way of introduction about the Church of Jesus Christ. Ernie talked about miracles, didn't he, that night of uh, um, Karen, Karen and Chris's uh, farewell. And we, well, we just pray for them too as they travel to the States, that you'll be with them and help them to get there safely and bless their ministry. But Ernie was talking about that, he was talking about a miracle... For them in their marriage, a, a miracle in the Moody's Barn, and a miracle in Mexico. There was another M, I can't even remember what it was, but anyway, there was about three or four M's there about miracles. And, and you know this, let me tell you this, the church is a miracle. It's an absolute miracle that the church is here today. And the thing is that many people have not really understood what the church really means. There are many people, do you know, who think that the church is a building. If you come to the next slide, we'll see there that the church was never a building in the New Testament. It never was a building. Because there were no church buildings in the New Testament. The church met in homes. In fact, it talks about, in Romans 16 and verse 5, Paul talks about the church that meets in their home. And, and the word there is ecclesia, the Greek word for church in the New Testament. And it's made of two words, ek or ex, which means out of. And the other word is kalio, which means to call. The called out ones, called out of darkness into God's wonderful light. And so to, to, you are the church, to be the church is to be called out of this world into that community of faith. And that's powerful, that's wonderful. We are a, a gathered community. 
That's why we have never, well, Baptist churches, I'm sure this church as well, we have never been all that happy with the parish system. Because what's happened is, I know in the history of the Baptist church, which I belong to, is that the Baptists were persecuted by the Church of England for daring to set up a church in their parish. And it was, uh, well, William Carey, the great pioneer of the modern, modern missionary movement, he says, I want to tell you something, the world is my parish. That's so important. And sometimes there can be this thing going on that this is our parish and you have no right to enter into it. The church is a gathered community of believers. They gather to scatter. To scatter to spread the word of the gospel. So there's no teaching in the New Testament about the word the church being a building. Okay, it's all right to say we're going to church. Because the old, the old English word church has that kind of connotation it can mean a building it's, it's taken from even the German word for kirka or, or the word kirk in Scottish terms has this idea of the kirk and the building and the people that meet in the building so I want you to realise that the New Testament the church was never a building it's the people you are the church this is a meeting of the church where two or three are gathered together in my name said Jesus there am I in the midst it doesn't depend on the number of people, it doesn't depend on a building, it depends on you giving your life to Christ, a gathered community of believers who want Christ to be at the very centre of their worship and their lives. Let's take the next slide, thanks. Why is the church a miracle? Why do we call the church a miracle? Well, just think of the rocky start. Now, that's a wee bit ambiguous, that word rocky there, because Peter is the rock. There's going to be a greater rock, the very foundation of Christ, and, and Peter's confession of faith is so powerful and so wonderful. But think of these disciples. Would you have chosen these disciples to turn the world upside down and to be the start of the most wonderful movement in the whole of the world, the Church of Jesus Christ? You would never have chosen them. And of course, with those disciples, we haven't even heard about Thaddeus. What happened to Simon the Zealot? I don't really know. Simon the Zealot, Bartholomew, Nathaniel, various other people that we don't hear a lot about afterwards. But we hear a lot about Peter and Andrew and James and John and these five kind of... But that was a kind of rocky start. And Jesus invested three, three and a half years in these men. He took them aside. He sent them out two by two. He sent them to spread the gospel, to, to, um, to heal people and, and to raise the dead and to cleanse people from the demons and the evil spirits of that age. He invested everything in these men. And all sorts of other disciples came along on board as well. And of course, as you well know, they will be thinking about Pentecost at the end of May. The Holy Spirit came upon them. And just think of how Peter, this guy who denied his Lord three times, gets up and preaches the wonderful gospel. 3,000 people come to Christ. Isn't that wonderful? That this man that you had never invested the time of day with becomes the, the, the first person to lead the church on the day of Pentecost. And God wonderfully uses him. And then there's the martyrs. I mean, people try to kill the church through its leaders. Peter got crucified. Paul was killed as well. Then Stephen was the first man. He got stoned to death. I think James, did he get beheaded? All these leaders of the church, they were, they were being cut off. They were being killed. 
And I wish I could just have the time, and I haven't got the time and or the, the wherewithal, but to tell you about the second and third century AD. Christians were torn apart by lions for their faith. It's a lovely story, well it's not a wonderful story, but a story about a young mother and the, the, the relatives came and they showed her her baby and they said for the sake of this baby will you not renounce Christ she said I'll never deny my Lord and she was put into the, the lions or the arena and torn limb for limb she wouldn't even give up Christ for the sake of being shown her baby and think of old Polycarp I, I love this character in the, in the early church called Polycarp he was 86 years of age and he was the bishop of Smyrna and they told him, you renounce Christ and we're going to burn your life. No, he said, 86 years have I served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my saviour? And so they took him and they burned him alive. 86 year old, he would never renounce Christ. And just think of the terrible persecution under the Diocletian and other emperors that they had, Christians. And as people were being martyred, other people were coming forward to give their lives for Christ. In fact, the Christian church said, please, please, you don't have to volunteer to be a martyr. <laughs> we want you to be alive. As one was going down, somebody else would get up. Isn't it wonderful that the church is alive? And well, after all these attempts, and you can think there of the communism, how communism tried to stamp on the church and make sure there was no church. China, did they not try and stamp the church? Just a couple of weeks ago, in the Times newspaper, the magazine, here's one of the articles. One billion souls to save. Christianity in China is booming with a hundred million believers in China. This, uh, far more than the 74 million members of the Communist Party. There's more Christians in China than people who belong to the Communist Party. Jesus is a force to be reckoned with in the People's Republic. One billion souls to save. Isn't that wonderful what God is doing these days? And that's in the Times magazine, a very secular magazine, what God is doing in China. And so communism, although it tried to stamp on Christianity, it never could it never could. And also secularism and humanism, we've got that today to contend with. People like Richard Dawkins trying to educate school children not to believe in God, to believe in atheism, a secular state. Albania was the secular state. And it's now open to believers. It's open to the church. And there's folk from Kirchie Baptist go out to Albania on a regular basis. That was a secular state, if ever there was one. And humanism. Islam. I reckon Islam today is a mighty force to be reckoned with. That would like to stamp out the Christian church as we know it. But it won't happen. Let's just go to the next slide. Thanks. Why is the church here today? Because of the prophetic word of Jesus in Matthew 16, 18. I will build my church and the gates of hell or Hades will not prevail against it. That's the word of the Lord Jesus. We need to hold on to that word because that church is going to exist. It's going to keep going. Like the old uh, 
the old American Republic hymn, his truth goes marching on. The church goes marching on. And that's the wonderful thing that we see there. The next slide, thanks, Anna. What's the evidence that God's church is marching on? As I mentioned, 100 million believers in China, more than the 74 million. Thanks, the next slide, please. What's the evidence that the church, God's church is marching on? In 1960, so the, I got it from the website here, 50 million evangelical Christians in the West, and there were 25 million in other parts of the world. Today, I'm told, 75 million in the West and 325 million in the rest of the world. I don't know if that's true, Andy, or not, but Andy can verify the truth. But 500 so million Christians, evangelical Christians in the world. But the, the whole thing has changed. Next line, thanks. And what we find is that most evangelical Christians now live in China, South Korea, India, Africa, Latin America. We don't maybe see the church growing fantastically here in this wee place and, and Middlesbrough, but across the world, if only you could get there, Rwanda, India, other places that folks have been here, the church is moving in a mighty way. God is doing a tremendous work by His Spirit. Uh, and we need to get excited about that and feel, I'm part of something really big. Really, really big. And that's a wonderful thing to have. Next slide. What's the evidence that the church is marching on? There are reckoned to be 2 billion Christians in the world. That covers a very wide scope. Um, evangelical Christians are not being dismissed. Even yesterday, in the newspaper... In part of my times, get the Times newspaper sometimes, you know. <laughs> Saturday Review. What's the opening page of the Inside Saturday Review? Spread the word. God is back. God is back. Spread the word. Isn't that good? And it's talking about the media may portray the, the, the evangelicals. Now, I never realised, I, I don't watch The Simpsons, but Ned Flanders. <laughs> Maybe, maybe I'll watch it now, I don't really know, but I've never heard of Ned Flanders. I don't watch The Simpsons, but anyway, Ned Flanders is a caricature of evangelicals. Is that right? I've never actually seen it. As society's losers, but US style muscular Christianity is conquering the world, and these two men have written a book about it. Isn't it wonderful? That God is good news, and the church is marching on. And that's just in yesterday's paper. And so we just want to praise God today that, that God's doing something through his church. The next slide, thanks, Sandra. Have we got any more? Is that it? Mm -hmm. Oh no. Why is the church here today? Because of the prophetic word of Jesus in verse 19 of Mark 16. Because Jesus actually says, And I will give to you the keys of the kingdom. Now I don't believe that means that Jesus was giving Peter the keys of the kingdom as if he could absolve sin and, and, and people could be forgiven through Peter. That's not what the Bible is saying. But I believe that Jesus is saying, I'm giving to you, Peter, as a representative of the church, the keys of the kingdom. That you'll be able to open things and close things. You'll be able to do a mighty work through the church of Jesus Christ. The church has the keys of the kingdom insofar as it has the gospel message. It has the word of God and it's able to take that word out. I think that's fantastic. Let me tell you something. There are things that God will do for you as a Christian. And there are things that he will not do for you if you mess about with the church. There are things that he wants to do through you that as, as part of the church. I'll give you an example. Acts chapter 12. Peter is locked up in a, a jail, isn't he? The doors are closed, the gates are closed. And I'm sure Peter prayed, 
for his escape and for his release. But not very far away was a Christian church meeting for prayer. And God heard those prayers. And out of answer of these, that church's praying ministry opened up the doors for Peter, opened up the gates and set him free. There are things that God will do for you because you're a Christian. And there are other things he'll not do for you if you mess about with the church. I don't need to come to church anymore. I can, I can play fast and loose with the church. There are things God wants to do through the church to your heart and mine. He wants us to work together as a community. And that's why it's so important to be here today and, and to be here for the next few, the next Sundays, as many Sundays as you can make it. Because he wants to do things through his Christian community that he can't do just through uh, an ordinary person being an individual Christian. That's so important. He's at them all. He's at them all. He can't. Well, here's two things the devil can't do. You know that? Two things the devil can't do. He can never change the destiny of the believer. If you're a born again Christian and you're giving your life to Christ, you're bound for glory. Isn't that wonderful? You're bound for glory. And the devil will never be able to change that destiny of the believer. And the second thing he can't do is he can't stop or hinder the spread of the gospel. God, Jesus says that when all the Gentiles have heard the gospel, when all the people here in the world that Jesus wants to hear, then will come the end times. So that gospel goes marching on through the church of Jesus Christ, for those who are in missionary service and, and all that's happening in the world. So the devil can't stop that. Praise his wonderful name that God is in control. Okay, we're coming now to the purpose-driven church. And, and the first thing when you think about it is this uh, suffering a spiritual way. That's the theme for this one. There's sweet spaces there. You might want to fill them up. If you're lazy or you haven't got a pen, I've got them filled in at the end of the service. You can have them. I'm, I'm not going to give them to you just now. But uh, if you want to, I sometimes think that putting wee words in can be helpful for your memory. Now, when we had that uh, farewell for Chris and Karen, and Andy was doing his wee bit there. I saw that they had been to Tyree. Is that right, Andy? Been to Tyree. Well, we went, we went over to Tyree quite a few times because Tyree was part of the Argyle Baptist Association. And we used to go, I used to preach there in the church at Tyree. And that's where the holiday there. And this, we're on this caravan down by the beach. And it was held down by a rope, this caravan. Well, one night the wind was so severe that we actually took Heather away from the window of the caravan and put her somewhere else. We were quite afraid that the window in the caravan was going to cave in. Over in Tyree, with so few trees, you get plenty of wind there. And there's two great things happen in Tyree. One of them is the lambing season. I think it's in about August. The, the lamb sales and the lambing season. The church is involved in that. And they get the tables out and they have their tea and their sandwiches and soup. All that kind of thing going on. The other thing, of course, is the surfing that goes on in Tyree. And there are people who come from all over Britain. Maybe they come from all over the world, for all I know. And they come to Tyree to do the surfing, the surfing competitions each year, I think, in September time. And when we're thinking about surfing, we think about the instruction that people get for surfing. They, they can learn to, or the right equipment, and learn how to ride a wave, how to do lots of things and get the right gear on. But in and, and Tyree, you have to learn how to live with the temperatures that must be terrible, uh, very cold when you're surfing. But one thing they never do when they're teaching you to surf is how to create a wave. 
You can never learn how to create. Are we? I, know, I know they do that in swimming pools. But when it comes to the seaside, nobody creates any waves. They are created by God. We find this wonderful verse in Scripture. You'll see it there in the sheet. Just read it with me. It's Isaiah 51.15. Let's say it together. For I am the Lord your God who churns up the seas with its waves roar. The Lord Almighty is his name. So one thing they don't teach in ordinary suffering is how to create a wave. And that's so important to realise that. The people, surfers will ride the waves that God has provided and that's so true of the church of Jesus Christ that we are not here to create waves to ride upon we're here to discover what is God doing by his spirit that we can recognise and be receptive to and get on board and that's so important in our understanding of what God is wanting to do and another thing that we learn here about growth, the one thing we need to remind you of is that growth cannot be produced by man. This is not something that we can produce ourselves. This is something wonderful that God really does. And so we find this tremendous word here in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 6. Let's say that together. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. And sometimes we need to realise that this is nothing more than the sovereignty of God. That God is in control. That God is the one who moves the church forward. He is the one that makes it grow. I planted, says Paul, Apollos watered, but God gives the increase. Now there is a partnership there. It's not a case of sitting back and saying, well God, if this church is going to grow, it's up to you. It's saying, Lord, I want to be partnering you and what your spirit is doing in this world. I want to be part of that mighty move forward of the church of Jesus Christ. Paulus watered, I planted, Paulus watered, and God gave the increase. We have this uh, table at the French window in the living room, and Eileen, she makes sure that she sits looking onto the garden. Now, this garden that she's planted... She's put the seed in, she's planted it, she's, the Lord waters it with the rain, uh, and she's, look, look how that's coming up. Look at the tatties, how they're coming up. I, I get this every day, for my <laughs> breakfast, and my dinner, and my tea. Every day she's looking at this garden, as it's all coming forward, you know. And once you get the seed in there, it's up to the Lord to, to make the thing grow. And she is just over the moon about what's really happening there. And there's these wee birds that have got into my shed. I mean, next door neighbour, they've got a lovely wee bird cage, a wee birdhouse. And there's a blue tit in there. But robins in their garden, they go into my shed. And we kind of get into the shed because there's these two robins, mum and dad. And I think one's coming out and feeding the other. They're feeding it. And I'm, I'm waiting for these eggs to be hatched. I'm waiting for these birds to get out of there so I can get into my shed and do certain things. But isn't it wonderful what nature is? doing they're feeding each other something is growing in that shed that I wish it would get out of <laughs> I'm afraid to go in just in case the bird deserts the nest or something you know it's wonderful what God is doing I mean to say Lord I just want to be part of what you're doing in this world I want to see something happening here I want to be a partner in this growth of the church but the Bible does say it's God that makes it grow it's God that gives the increase and that's so important as we think of the church of Jesus Christ and God can give us the skills to do that but equally important is this 
it says here, Aikman Point is being able to learn to get off dying waves. Surfers don't like dying waves. They try and get off the dying waves. And perhaps there's things in church life that need to be changed. I'm not talking about this church here, but I'm talking about the church generally. Things have died. And they need to get off these dying waves. I was up in the loft and I came across this sheet of jokes that I had. <laughs> I'd forgotten all about them. And I came across this this funny story about the woman that took her duck to the vet. Did you hear about this one? Took her duck to the vet and the duck's heads are way at the side and she takes it to the vet and, and she says to the vet, she says, it's not well. He says, not well? He says, it's dead. Your duck is dead. <laughs> no, no, no. She says, she says, I don't think the duck is dead. He says, I'm telling you the duck is dead. Can you give me a second opinion? So he got his labrador up on the on the up on the table, and the labrador looks at the the duck and shakes its head and jumps down. He says, "I'm telling you, it's dead. Even the dog doesn't like it." She says, "Try again. Give it a kiss of life or something." Like that. And then the cat gets up and looks at it and shakes its head and down it goes. And she says, "I'm telling you, it's dead." Well, she says, oh, "I'll just have to come to terms with the duck is dead." And she said, "How much will that be?" She said, "125 pounds." She said, why is it so much? She said, well, it's just, when I told you at first it was, that was £25, but you've had a lab report in the cat's car. <laughs> but there are dying waves in church life. There are things that are dead. And no suffer, a sufferer's going to learn how to come off these dying waves. To get some wave that's going to take them forward. And that's so true in church life. And today we, we need church leaders who will start church people who will stop praying, Lord bless what I am doing. We need to be able to pray, Lord help me to do what you are blessing. Help me to do, Lord, in the church of Christ. But you are really blessing in these days. I'm to learn what God is doing in my spirit. Now the next Sunday morning we're going to learn, we're not going to learn somehow to, how to create a wave of the spirit. It can't be done. And there are people who try and manufacture that. They try and manufacture something through programs or, or marketing or technology. We can't actually do that. We need to recognize what God is doing and say, Lord, give me the skills. Give me the biblical knowledge. Give me the understanding of the Spirit that I might be able to do what you are blessing. And that's so important in church life. But the problem with many churches is that they begin with the wrong question. They will ask, how do you make your church grow? Very often, that's the question I used to ask myself. How do you make your church grow? But that's not really the, the question we should be asking. It's really asking, what is keeping our church from growing? Because the church is not meant to be a building, it's meant to be a body. I know that in the New Testament the church is thought of as a building, living stones cemented together by love. But the church is not a building of real stones, it's a body. It's not an organisation, it's an organism. And an organism has life, it's got cell life, and, and that life will grow if it's in the right way, if it's healthy. And that's so important. What's keeping our church from growing? And if there is a health in a church, I believe the church is going to grow. If we have health in our own spiritual lives, if we have asked the Lord to deal with things in our hearts and lives, then I believe the church will grow. People will see Jesus in us. People will see how Christians love each other. Where that health is there, there you get growth.
And the wonderful thing, if the health is not there, then we find that God wants to do that tremendous work in our hearts. And, and children will go naturally. Something you've got to remove things from children's life that will stop them growing in difficult environments and all kinds of things. But give them the right nutrition and they'll grow. And give, give them the word of God. Give them an understanding of the Spirit. I believe the church of Jesus Christ will really go. But when the human body is out of balance, we find that's when it comes to dis-ease. Dis-ease. And the same is true of the sufferer. The sufferer has to learn balance to be able to surf the waves. It may look easy, but I'm sure it's not easy to surf these great big waves that you see them surfing on the television and other places. They need balance. And folks, the same is true of your Christian life and mine. One of the things the devil uses in church life is Christians out of balance. They are out of balance and they emphasize one doctrine against another doctrine and all kinds of things happen. We need to be balanced Christians if there's not going to be that disease or that dis-ease within the church of Jesus Christ. And the task of leadership is to discover and remove growth-restricting diseases and barriers to that natural growth of the church of Jesus Christ. One writer talked about the spontaneous expansion of the church. I'm told in that article on China, as one house group is shut down, another one starts they get to 20 odd people and they've actually got to become illegal then and they've got to start another house, another house church. And as one house church is closed down, another just starts up. And so the church in China has grown and grown and grown. We're not talking about great big churches. There are churches in China that are part of the official church. But even the underground church is just growing and growing and growing. So much so... Praise God that the authorities are thinking now we better talk to the pastors of the underground church. And the, the authorities are now talking to these pastors because the church is growing at such a wonderful rate. And the, true, and the question we're going to ask, is our church spontaneously growing? And the issue, says Rick Warren, for the 21st century, is not church growth, he says. The issue is church health. It's not church growth. It's church health. That's the key issue. And so we find this verse here in Colossians 2 and verse 19. It says, Paul talks about the person who delights in false humility and worship angels. He said, he has lost connection with the hand from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. And the person who's out of balance, the person who delights in false humility, Paul says, and worship angels, they're out of kilter, out of balance. That person, he says, has lost connection with the head and the head is Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church and he talks about from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Another verse that says this is the sovereignty of God. This is God's work. You plant the seed. You water it but God gives the growth. This is God's work. You've heard Kathy say that about the, the coffee shop. This is God's work. And God's the one that brings the growth. He's the one that brings the blessing. So what I want to try and do, all I'm trying to do in, in this opening talk about the purpose-driven church, is say, isn't it exciting to belong to something big? There's only been a few of us here today. But just believe that you're part of something wonderful throughout the world.
And perhaps the church is not growing so well in Scotland, in the UK, Europe. What a difficult field for the Church of Christ in Europe. But in Africa, India, Latin America, China, Russia, all these places, an explosion of churches going on for Christ. Some of the places where they've been persecuted, put in prison, the church is really growing. This, the blood of the martyrs has become the seed of the church. And there's old Polycarp, the 86. 80 and 6 years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my King and my Saviour? God's truth, God's church, goes marching on. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's just have a prayer. Well, we only thank you today for the surfing a spiritual wave. And we're not the one that creates the wave. And sometimes we try and manufacture waves of receptivity. But you're the one that brings those waves of revival you're the one that brings ways of receptivity. Sometimes, Lord, in economical situations that are really difficult, you choose to work. As it was in D.L. Moody's day, economics was really bad and, and things were difficult. And you raise up a man like D.L. Moody. We thank you, Lord, that you can do that in these days. And we give you the praise and the glory that you are mightier and, and greater than the problems that we face in our country, in our world today. We thank you for this wonderful news of the church throughout the world, where you're growing, even in difficult areas where people have been persecuted for the faith. There is a mighty move of the church of Christ. But we want to see the church growing in Middlesbrough. We want to see a tremendous work in this place. And to that end, we pray for the other churches that they will see growth as well. You'll do a mighty work through the Christ and Church and Woodysburn Church. Lord, will you do a work through us? We can't generate the growth, but we can plant the seed and we can water it, but you're the one that causes the growth. Lord, may we be partners in this miracle that we call the Church. Will you help us to that end? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.